I want to welcome you to Invest Advisors' second podcast. It's January 22nd, 2016. We've had an interesting week um, in the market. Actually, the last three weeks have been very interesting in terms of the volatility that we've experienced. And so even though I don't want our podcast to be so timely that you can't find value in this broadcast a year from now or three years from now, this gives me a good example to talk about a couple of concepts today. My name is Jeremy Torgerson. I'm the Senior uh, Investment Advisor Rep and the owner and CEO of Invest Advisors. You can find us at N vestadvisors.com, the letter N, vestadvisors.com. You can also find us and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, and Facebook. So do a search for us. You'll be able to see some timely articles, sometimes original blog entries, oftentimes just analyst reports or interesting tidbits about the market, about investing, about a lot about behavioral finance that uh, we find important for our clients to know. And now today's podcast, we're going to talk about a couple of things um, in relation to market volatility. It's been a very choppy two or three weeks for clients. And in my eight-year career as a financial advisor so far, there have only been a couple of times where I have seen actual panic from my clients. And one of the things that we do at Invest and did in our previous company before Invest uh, was formed last year was to make sure that clients knew from day one when you first hit uh, our doors as a client, there will be times when your account is down. We don't make any promises that the account is going to always be up. We're not profits. We're not gurus. We don't know exactly where the market's going at any given time, but I'll let you in on a little secret. Neither does anybody in this industry. Every research report following these talking heads on TV or these analysts are finding out that over the course of a year or 18 months after their advice is dispensed, most of them are less accurate than a coin toss. So you could literally begin to throw darts at a wall with a, a bunch of stock ticker symbols up there. And most likely, you're going to get a better result blindfolded throwing darts at a wall than you will be listening to some of the people on Fox Business or CNBC. That's an unfortunate reality, but it is a reality. So what's an investor to do? What are you, where are you supposed to turn? How are you supposed to invest and, uh, and make sure that you can stay uh, on top of it and know where the next market is headed? And I guess the question for that question poses a couple of, of um, follow-up questions. Number one, do you want a, fin a financial advisor or an investment person who can predict the future that is actually what stock investors are looking for, and that's not possible. You would, if, if, somebody, if I put out a shingle outside my door right now, and instead of it saying we are wealth managers and asset managers, that I was a medium and a psychic, you would scoff, laugh, and never bring your money here. But if I do such a thing as an investment advisor and say we have either a software that predicts the future, or I am so vastly experienced and uh, that I can, and so gifted and so educated that I can predict uh, the next market downturns and upturns with regularity, um, which is basically saying I am a psychic. You would probably be inclined to want to put money with a person like that. So we have that's a, one of our most common issues 
in financial advising is helping a client overcome your own emotional and psychological barriers to wealth. And one of the most common ones that I see, and this is by the way how people like Bernie Madoff got away with what he got away with, was that we have the strong desire to believe in magic, to believe in fortune telling, to believe in things that we can't prove. And so when somebody comes to us and says, I have a solution or I have a secret uh, algorithm, I've created a special program, or I have this vast knowledge of insight and I can get you blank. You know, Bernie Madoff promised about 11% guaranteed. And uh, here, and his target, by the way, were multimillionaires. So people who should already be financially savvy are the ones that Bernie Madoff was able to sucker and swindle out of millions. I mean, there's not even a total yet. No one could figure out exactly how much Bernie Madoff scammed uh, investors out of. But it, that's kind of, now let me come back to my train of thought here and put it back on the rails. We want to believe something even if there is no evidence for it. And that is a common problem with humans and dealing with money and wealth. For example, we also had in the last week a record Powerball lottery of one point, they estimate 1.6, 1.7 billion dollar payout. And as that dollar amount climbs each week, as the jackpot dollar amount climbs, more and more people get into it. The odds of winning the Powerball was 1 in 292 million. So you had, and the odds, by the way, of being killed by a shark are only about 1 in 10 million. So you had about 29 times more likely that you will be killed by a shark than you would to win the Powerball. But we want to believe in a magical ending for us. We, that's part of being human, part of our optimism. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that except when we use those feelings to make money decisions for us. So the last couple weeks we've seen uh, oil prices really dropping to not record lows, but lows for a long period of time. We've had oil prices in the 20s and 30s back in the 1980s, um, but oil prices plummeted and uh, stock market began to get scared that there would be a lot of bankruptcies in the oil fields and the oil industry. And then also that financial companies, banks mostly, who had a lot of loans uh, given out to these oil companies for exploration and drilling would suddenly be standing there with a bunch of debt similar to 2008 that was no longer good and banks might have problems getting rid of it. So there was this kind of stock market panic about how far uh, oil prices will plummet, how many bankruptcies, how many banks will be affected, affected, etc. One of the things that I'm going to talk about today, as I kind of get back on track here, is the, uh, that kind of proves right now the very first concept. I want you to understand two things going out of today. Number one, markets are efficient, and number two, markets are irrational. They are always efficient, and they are always irrational. And let me explain those in a little bit of detail. An efficient market, and there is actually an economic theory that has been posited called the efficient market theory. And it essentially goes like this in a nutshell. Markets are so broadly traded now 
and so many millions and millions and millions of shares a day and so many analysts and investors are staring at these same group of numbers every day that there is really no opportunities for investors to figure something out ahead of the market and get in ahead of the market or be contrary to the market. So if that makes sense that basically there's so many millions and millions and millions of trades happening and so many people looking at one company's stock, for example, that you're not going to have the eureka moment where you catch on that a stock is grossly oversold before the rest of the market figures it out. So what that means is that the market is kind of like a rubber band and it's stretching out either being overbought or being stretched out the other way and being oversold. And what happens because of efficient market theory is that the rubber band's always going to snap back. We call that reverting to the mean, but it will always be uh, there's very, very little chance that you as an individual investor are going to have some epiphany that has not already been thought of. Okay? So that first concept means that we have to do a couple things. Number one, quit trying to second guess what's going on in the market. There is no reason to. Other people have already thought of it. The trades have already been in there. Some trades have been placed a long time ahead of time for a specific event to happen. So there's no reason for you sitting out there watching CNBC and getting these ideas from some talking head about, well, I would be invested in such and such right now. Um, they have no insight. They have no special knowledge. In fact, when they do have insight or special knowledge, we call that insider trading, and that person is, is guilty of a crime. So if that, that's the, pretty much the only way anymore that a person can have a unique insight into the markets. So number one, put out of your mind that anybody on any of these talking shows have got anything more than, at best, an educated guess about where the markets are headed. Okay? That's the first thing we want to make sure our clients understand. So, and that's, by the way, at Invest, we don't, we don't try to market time too much. We do a little bit of taking advantage of things of being down or being up to rebalance or to tax lost harvest. But for the average investor, you're not, we're not trying to time the market. We're not trying to go up and down and we don't have algorithms and we don't have planning, you know, that kind of trading strategy. We want to get you focused on long-term goals. We want to uh, diversify, create a portfolio that has over the same period of time as your goal has proven that it has accomplished those returns we need routinely over time. And the next concept we want to talk about is that markets are, so if number one, they're efficient. Number two, markets are irrational. And this is probably the most important concept you can make if you are a person who watches that S&P 500 chart or that Dow Jones chart, or if you find yourself turning your head to see what the market did today. Markets move not based on actual news. They, are, they move based on emotional reaction from investors to the news. Okay, And when you pair that with efficient market theory, what that basically means is that the moment a headline hits the news, no matter if it's, there's truth to that headline or not, the market will correct it. And it will correct it efficiently, but it will also correct it irrationally. So there has been, and this is again, this last three weeks has been a very good example of this. The oil prices in the world, because of an oversupply of oil, not really, and, and a mild turndown in, in GDP in places like China and 
um, elsewhere. You have a little bit of a cooling off of the economy in certain parts of the world, and then you have this enormous glut of oil right now, where we have basically a fight going on inside the oil industry, where the United States last year became a net exporter of oil, and it is now trying to carve a niche in the market. And companies and countries that have had really a monopoly on oil for a long time are trying to push U.S. companies back out of the market. So they kept their production up as we entered the market with our production. And over about two years, we ended up with a huge amount of produced oil. No one, it was a game of chicken between OPEC and Saudi Arabia and some of these other countries, Saudi Arabia specifically, but other parts of the world. Everyone's trying to get their oil to market. Nobody wanted to be the one to pull back first. Saudi Arabia and OPEC and some of those other uh, oil producing uh, groups and nations kind of placed a bet that the U.S. would be the one to retreat because we are one of the few places in the world that our oil is actually owned by private companies and produced by private companies. Most of the rest of the world, the oil is produced by their governments. It's owned by the governments and produced by it. So the governments can run a little bit longer of essentially giving away that profit in order to push private companies, which must have profit or they don't survive, out of the market. And so they've done that. We've seen a lot of layoffs in U.S. oil companies over the last year or two. And we've seen a lot of uh, wells shut down. Uh, we've seen exploration stop. We've seen fracking grind to a halt. And there's been a huge drop in oil company stocks as a result of the drop in price, which means that they're pulling, pulling oil out of the ground and refining it, and their profit margin on that, pr that activity has evaporated. So investors are very nervous about oil companies in America. Oil companies make up a portion of the indexes that we watch on a regular basis. The S&P 500, the Dow Jones, the Russell 2000, all of those. All of those have oil companies in it. And so when we started to see oil companies' stock prices fall by some of them as much as 75, 80, even 90 percent right now, that naturally dragged the market down with it. But when it happens is you start to see stock prices drop. It is a very normal human phenomenon, and it's part of the field of study called behavioral finance, that we fear and avoid pain much more than we want to pursue gain or pleasure. So let me say that again. Humans avoid pain more than we are willing to pursue pleasure. So if something is potentially pleasurable, but it can also cause us a great deal of pain and suffering, we'll avoid it. The lotto is one of those things that plays against that human nature because it's a very minor pain to pay $20 for a couple of lotto or Powerball tickets. But the potential reward is so much greater. And as that reward grew, more and more and more people were wanting to buy tickets to try to get a little bit of that. So in that case, the reason lottery and, and in sometimes, unfortunately, gambling at casinos and the like, why those are successful is because they make it seem like there's going to be a little, po a little bit of pain for you with the potential huge reward of pleasure. Okay, The stock market doesn't promise that. It promises that your money can go up, your money can go down, and all by that means, all I mean is the value of it day to day. You don't actually ever gain or lose anything unless you sell at different times and lock that gain or loss in for cash. But that's part of the psychological warfare that goes on when you're in the stock market. 
Okay, so let's review what we've talked about so far today. Number one, markets are efficient. That means that they will always, if there is a bargain to be found, the markets will always find it and correct it. If there is something that is overbought and is too expensive, the market will correct it. There's too many trades and too many people looking at it for you to be counterintuitive. So we need to put our egos aside and realize that the market is going to do what it needs to do. There is a saying I learned years ago. I wish I could give credit to whoever came up with it. The trend is your friend. That means we can't try to be counterintuitive to the market long term and expect to be successful. There are far too many massive institutional sized traders out there. Large pensions, 401ks, enormous, enormous pockets of wealth. Governments, companies that own billions and billions of dollars worth of portfolios. They're trading constantly and the average investor never has enough wealth that you're not going to be able to move the market. You, there's nothing, we, even if we collectively got together as, as small investors, we're not going to have enough financial clout to move a market the way we want it to go. The market is your friend, whether it's going up or down, you're just going to have to ride that wave. So we are surfers riding the wave. We are not the wave makers. We are the wave riders. So we need to know when is a good time to get on that wave and when it's not. That is something that we can do internally and also really we do that through a process of diversification and I'll go over that in just a minute. So number one, markets are again efficient. There is no way around it. So get that out of your mind that you can even be something. And if anybody, by the way, says they can do something counter to the market long term, and especially if they're promising guaranteed returns, be very, very leery. Okay? Number two, markets are always irrational. Markets are entirely emotion-driven. Yes, we do move markets and we do buy and sell based on a specific number. But ultimately, it is not the number that causes us to buy or sell. It is the emotion we feel when we see the number that makes us buy or sell. So when you see markets surging for the day, like it is today, by the way, the market is reacting positively. Everyone is breathing a sigh of relief that oil prices went up about a dollar overnight per barrel. So everyone's like, Whew, maybe we've, and we're speculating, maybe we've seen the bottom of oil. Maybe we haven't, but most people are thinking, okay, we've hit a level that oil is not wanting to go below. We've kind of found some support for that number, and we're breathing a sigh of relief that oil looks like it's bottomed out, which means that most of the damage to oil companies is probably now figured out, and now the markets can put money back in. So it was an emotional reaction to a number that caused the market to do what it did. So we remember this, that we are emotional creatures, that we react emotionally to everything, that every bit of advertising out there, if it's successful, appeals to an emotion, not to our logic centers. Our logic centers will come in later and, and rationalize the emotional decisions we've made. But it, it'll always be an emotional reaction to it. That is something that investors must keep in mind. So the next question, if I were someone sitting here listening to me ramble on for 21 minutes, is, okay, so therefore what? How do I control my emotions then? You're saying that if the markets move emotionally and they're efficient, so I don't really have any say in what they do and I'm not going to be able to undo or, or counter what the market is doing, then how do you invest? And this is the next part that I would talk about. Number one, 
you have to be aware of a concept called confirmation bias. And this is one thing that I can think can put some of us into an emotional tailspin where we start to be depressed about the news. Then we go and find uh, news that supports our depression, gives us reason to be depressed. So then we get more depressed. And then we go down into this rut that's very difficult to get out of. Let me step away from investing for a minute and give you another great example, an easy one, of confirmation bias. And this is going to be another timely event. But this weekend, on Sunday, the Denver Broncos play the uh, New England Patriots for the AFC Championship game. And the winner of that will go on to Super Bowl 50. I am from Colorado. I hail from, I think, the prettiest state in the Union. And I want the Broncos to win over any competitor, but I also have a particular dislike, for apologies to anybody who's a Patriots fan, I particularly dislike the New England Patriots. Um, and it's because of a long history of watching, I believe, them cheating, thinking Tom Brady is kind of a smug, you know, and then there's the Brady-Manning controversy, uh, who's the better quarterback. So anyway, my disposition is that I want the Broncos to win. Now... A year ago, or a little bit less than that, Deflategate came up. It was in the, uh, in the playoff season last year where a football that was in play in New England's, on New England's offense was squeezed by a, a referee during a, a down, and he realized that ball was a little bit too flimsy. He asked for another ball, and the game continued. Well, that caused them to check all the balls on New England's side, and I think 12 of the 13 were not inflated to the full regulation pressure. My predisposition as a Broncos fan and really an anti-Patriots guy was to believe that, that uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots were again guilty of cheating. Now if you are a Patriots fan, your first inclination was probably either uh, yeah, but all teams cheat, so who cares? Or, no, by God, our guys don't cheat. Everyone hates us because we're winners. They hate Tom Brady because he's so successful, etc. So here you have the same news. The news was there was an underinflated ball, actually a series of them, on the New England Patriots side. Tom Brady says, I knew nothing about it. And, of course, then the equipment manager, Belichick, everybody saying, I knew nothing about it. If you liked the Patriots you were inclined to believe their story. If you disliked the Patriots, you were inclined to believe that they got caught cheating again. Okay, you notice I said again because I believe they were cheating. That is confirmation bias. That means this. Confirmation bias in psychology says that we go to news sources, we have friends, we, we look at websites, not that challenge our beliefs about the world, but that confirm that the way we believe is right. So in investing, you have, if you are an, an optimist, which ultimately I am, and, and I think at Invest Advisors we believe that the world has still got a lot of great opportunities and there's a lot of great ideas and there's a lot of productive people out there that want to do great things in the world. So we're optimists about the, the future of the world that we're moving forward as a society and as a people and I think that the future holds greater opportunities for us than in the past and there are some people who believe that our best days are behind us that uh, America is in decline and we can both find data to support our beliefs so but here's the other 
part of confirmation bias. We will continue to feed our own belief system more often than we will find somebody who disagrees with us and really listen and really try to take in the other point of view. It's very common right now in the battle in cable news. If you tend to be conservative in your politics, more likely than not, you are a Fox News watcher. And if you are uh, liberal in your political views, more often than not, you will watch either CNN or MSNBC, um, and you will not be willing to switch places. Probably this world would be a much better place, and America would be a much better place if if you were a Fox watcher, you agreed to watch MSNBC for you know a month, and if you watch MSNBC, you watch Fox for a straight month, maybe you might start to see the other party's point of view. But we don't do that. Confirmation bias means we want to be right. And so we will seek out sources that validate our opinions instead of looking for things that challenge them. So in investing, you, if you are a pessimist and you think the market is headed down, if you are a bear is what we call it in the market when you think the market is dropping, you will immediately perk up when you see a news headline that says something negative about the market and you say, ah, aha, aha, see, see, that proves it. I was right. Or any day that the market dips, you will say, I knew it. I knew that the market's going to go down and this is, this is proof. If you are an optimist, you will be looking for th reasons for the market to go up and believe that you're on your way. So that goes back to that constant battle and you always see it depicted as the bears versus the bulls but you that is the constant war that is being waged on wall street between the pessimists and the optimists who believes that the future or at least in the next six to twelve months is what the stock market really is is uh, going to be better and who believes it's going to be worse nobody knows for sure everybody's guessing and it's just a battle of which sentiment takes over at any given time. So I know I've talked a lot of theory today, but I want to make sure that you are able to take something actionable and meaningful away from um, not only this podcast, but every way that you might engage with Invest Advisors, whether it's through a blog entry or uh, through social media. I just want to make sure that there's something that good that comes from it. So let me divide you into two categories right now, maybe three. If you are already retired and you're watching the markets move up and down, number one, it is too late to make changes to the market at the bottom, but you will be very tempted to get out of accounts that are down significantly because you don't know where the bottom is. Just know this. We know because of the market cycles and how human emotions are impacted by market cycles that by the time you are in full-on panic or depression mode, most likely, and in over, over history has proven this, you are most likely already near the bottom and the market correction is about to come. So before you sell when something is down, please remember this. For every investment transaction, there is a buyer and a seller. And I want you to think very carefully about this. When your emotions tell you, get out, get out, get out, and when they tell you to sell, and you place that sell order, you have to sell your investments to someone. Someone is out there willing to take your investments from you at a low price. Now that's the big guys, the smart institutional investors know that when the markets get really scary, average investors will panic and get out and you'll get out near the bottom 
and then they are able to buy your investments cheaply. Let that sink in a minute. So when you feel emotionally ready to cut and run from markets like this, you need to be very, very careful to keep your emotions in check. That is the number one reason why retired investors, frankly, should have an investment advisor. That's why I'm in the business. It's not so much because we have profound prophetic insight into the markets where they're going to go. That's not what we do here. What we do, though, is get you set on a correct course for your goals, your time horizons, and your risk preferences, and then hold your hand to make sure you don't make these emotional mistakes with money as, as time goes on and markets do what they do. So for retired investors, you're going to be nauseated during market volatility. Let the markets correct. Get with a financial advisor if you find yourself panicking get with somebody to find a way to maybe even diversify you out, so, so what I call soft landing you and your investments, but don't panic. Panicking is the worst thing you can do during an investment correction, a market correction. Okay. Now, second group of you, if you are within five years of retiring and the market goes through a correction, it's probably too late in this correction, in my opinion, for you to make significant changes to your portfolio. But as the market recovers again, if this one really panicked you, you need to be looking at slowing down your investments, exposing yourself to less and less volatility as you get close to retirement. Not eliminating it. You still have many, many years that you need the money to grow while you're retired. But you want to pull back on some of the more speculative investing. One of the things that I found interesting in this business and I've seen this many, many times, is that young, young investors, like 30-year-olds, are always investing too conservatively. And their money didn't grow as quickly as it could have, and, and they don't have the lump sum they expected. And then by the time they get to the age of 50, they realize, oh, I, I have to catch up. I'm almost to retirement age. I have to hurry. And then I see 50-plus-year-olds making investment decisions that are far too aggressive. So we do it backwards most of the time where we make this mistake of being too conservative when we have the time to ride the roller coaster and then becoming far too aggressive trying to catch up for lost time when we really need to be slowing it down. So for people five years or so from retirement, it's a good time to assess how much risk, how diversified you are, and uh, you'll start to like cement down and kind of grind down the investment portfolio as you approach retirement. What you just don't want to have happen is a significant market downturn right before you retire. It might mean that you have to put off retiring for two or three years to let the markets fully recover. Okay, So that's group number two. If you are a young investor, and this is what Invest Advisors really targets, we look for the small business owners, um, the education professionals, the working guy who just wants to do better by his family. We are the investment firm that really loves to work with small businesses and professional people who are plugging along, doing their job, raising their families, paying their taxes. Those are the kind of people that we love to work with here at Invest. If you are in that group where you're more than five years away from retiring, these downturns are your best friend. And that's a very, again, very counterintuitive to what you might be feeling, but the downturn in the market for someone who is in the process of buying stock as opposed to the one who's trying to sell it to live on it, the person buying investments, you want times when the market is battered down 
because you are able to pick up your investments at bargain basement prices. So when you see market corrections, your first feeling might be, get out, I don't like my investments going down. But you are accumulating shares, and the value of those shares don't matter yet. The number of shares do. So your monthly contribution to your 401k this last month bought more shares than they will in future months because the shares were reduced and shrunk down in value and they will reinflate. So you want times every time the market is down for a young investor and actually any investor who's got some time to let the investment recover, you want to buy when the market's down. The best way that young people do that is by what we call dollar cost averaging. Rather than trying to guess when the market is at a bottom and then we dump it in, because no one knows. It is just better and it's been proven over time that the most cost effective way to get into the market is to do it systematically. Every month, the same amount, the same day of the month, over time has proven to be an effective way to get into the market at a ultimately lower price. So we believe in dollar cost averaging into your investments when you're young. And all that means for you, in that fancy word, just means get with either an IRA, get with uh, your 401k at work or your 403b if you're a teacher, and contribute on a monthly basis through payroll and let the investments grow. That's the secret to long-term growth. Let me sum up today with this thought for all investors in every class. Warren Buffett, the most successful investor in the history of the world, was asked once to sum up his investment philosophy and in his profound wisdom he was able to do it all in one sentence. He said this, I get fearful when others get greedy and I get greedy when others get fearful. That's ultimately it in investing. It's so profoundly simple but yet it's so hard to do in practice because it runs counter to our human emotion, our human fear of loss. Warren Buffett says basically that the secret to success in investing is to always bet on the losing racehorse. That's very hard to do. It doesn't make any sense to us emotionally. But logically and mathematically, that is exactly what investors need to do. So as I hope that you will take from this today, let not your heart be troubled. The investing world will move forward. The sun will still come up tomorrow. Volatility is part of this process, and for most of our investors, for most of you, the last few weeks meant nothing. This is Jeremy Torgerson with Invest Advisors. I hope that you will keep listening to our podcast. You can also check out our company at www.nvest, the letter N, vestadvisors.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, LinkedIn, YouTube. I think that's all of them. We hope to talk to you in two weeks. Until then, have a great day. God bless.